Thank you very much for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined by two very special guests uh, over Zoom because we can't meet in person just yet. But we have Tolu Ililaboye and Titi Tijani. Titi is the board president of ACOMI, and Tolu is the director of operations of ACOMI, which is the African Communities of Manitoba Incorporated. Uh, Titi and Tolu, thank you for so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. It's my honor to have both of you here. Um, but before we sort of get into all, all of the conversations that we're going to get to, um, maybe just tell me first, Titi, if you want to tell me, how, tell me about ACOMI. Tell me how long uh, has the organization been around? What is the main mandate? And what kinds of things does, does your group help with? Yes, thank you, Nolan. Um, ACOMI started like uh, in 1997 officially. But prior to that, I mean, through uh, Fokorama. So, um, you know, uh, Fokorama, you know, a gathering place. And so uh, big, uh, people from the African communities wanted to also showcase their culture. And so uh, started through Fokorama. And then I think they ran Fokorama for a few years. And then we realized that uh, we need to gather more than once a year. And so in terms of programming and also advocating for the community, and so that gave birth to African communities of Manitoba when we officially uh, launched it in 2003. And so I think I've been part of it since then. Uh, I started as uh, the organizing secretary and I have uh, been volunteering for Akumi. I also volunteered as part of uh, Fokurama, you know, because uh, I just love what uh, they were doing. And I think it was the second year I just volunteered in the kitchen and uh, became the a volunteer coordinator and then uh, been involved till today. So ACOMI uh, came together, it was you know, a decision from all the uh, African communities, organizations, and they wanted um, an organization like an umbrella organization to support all the uh, other African organizations here uh, to build capacity, to advocate for the needs of the black community and also, also help with settlement of newcomers as they come, because uh, with everybody's experience, particularly immigrant ex experience, you do need somebody to handhold you, you know, through your settlement journey. And Akumi does that. Very cool. Yeah, there's so many different programs and areas that you, that you guys are focused on. So we can we can talk about all of them, or as many as we can get to at least. But Tolu, I mean, full disclosure, you used to work at the Winnipeg Foundation as one of my colleagues. It's great to see you again. Um, but Maybe why did you want to get involved with the Comey and how long have you been there? And, and just maybe give a little bit of your backstory as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I started volunteering with the Africa, Africa Pavilion when I was really young. It was one of those things where well, you know, my mom was volunteering and she's like, come down and we would help in the kitchen, maybe snack a little bit in the kitchen as well. Um, so that was kind of my foray. And then I got a scholarship actually through the African communities in Manitoba. Um, and there was a lot of outreach after that to kind of come and get involved. And so during my time in just kind of university and getting to know what I wanted with life, I was able to get involved with the board. And so I've been with the organization for I think nine years now as a board member. And then I stepped down from the board last year uh, to take on the position that I'm in now, which has been really illuminating and really wonderful because I think we've seen so much growth in the organization in the last six years. And it's just you know, exasperated and rapidly growing even more, especially with the onset of, for example, the Black Lives Matters movements and things like that. Um, so it's been really wonderful to be able to experience that growth and be a part of it um, head on. So I've 
transition from kind of a board member volunteer to fully working with the organization and helping it grow and develop into its fullest potential. You've done it all. You've done it all pretty much. That's great. I love to hear it. Um, so like, maybe I'll get both of you to answer this question, but for TT first, like how has what the organization does changed since you first started? So back in 2003, when you first got involved, what, what did you do back then compared to what, what do you do now? And then same question for you, Tolo, how has it changed in the last, you said six years, but like even the 10 years or so that you've been involved, like what's changed over the last little bit that, that uh, Akomi is now doing that didn't before or used to not do and now does or, or vice versa? So when we started Akomi, I think we spent our first few years just organizing ourselves, you know, learning about how to run, how to organize an, an umbrella organization, how to bring all the other communities together. So it was more of outreach and pitching, you know, the idea, selling the idea that, you know, we need advocacy and that it's better to have advocacy through one channel and uh, to support every organization. So our first, for, for, first few years were doing that. And so we were able to do that. We harnessed that and we're able to elect people on the board and then, you know, people begin, other organizations begin to see a benefit in being part of a COMI. So it's really uh, launching that and letting everybody know. So at that time, it was really about bringing communities together, you know, through and then harnessing it through for Kurama. But as time went by, we realized that, you know, uh, organizations need to be uh, doing programming. And so Akomi focused on um, applying for grants, grants that we will then have uh, grassroots organizations do the programming. We also do some programming for everyone, but you know, we also apply for grants that we then re-grant to our member organizations. And they have found that very useful because many of those organizations don't have what it takes to actually apply for these grants. Many mm -hmm. of them are not charitable. Again, that was part of what we spent our first few years doing, being a charitable, you know, uh, organizer, getting our charitable number. And so once we got our charitable number, it was also very beneficial to all the other organizations. So we can, we organize, uh, uh, particularly like last year when we got some money to do, um, to provide food distribution to the communities during COVID and also doing the wellness check. You know, we, re we I think we got some money from Winnipeg Foundation, which we regranted to our member organization so that the service can be down to the grassroots. So we moved from just organizing, knowing ourselves, which we're still doing, um, celebrating you know, our culture and heritage to actually providing programming that reaches the grassroots organization. And we have expanded um, you know, our operations. We are now uh, moving into another location because you know, many of our members, you know, they are now aligned with ACOMI and they also want to do programming with ACOMI. So they now rely on us to, to get some grants for them so that they can actually do programming that will benefit their communities. It's, it's empowerment, right? Empowerment through funding, empowerment through knowledge, empowerment through connection and community and, and, and through programming. Tolu, can you, what can you add to that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the legacy of ACOMI really is the, it, you know, the organizing and the bringing of people together. And so I think in the last six years, um, like many ethnic organizations, ACOMI 
our board and our community or organizations have been made up of predominantly elders within our community. And so in the last six years, I would definitely say we focused in on rebranding and shifting some of that focus so that it, it speaks to a more modern, a modern audience. And so when I think about that, I think about movements like the Black Community Collective that we established with uh, several other Black serving organizations that aren't just African, right? So the Caribbean organizations, Black broad organizations, the diasporic organizations, and really looking at, okay, so now that we've established ourselves as individual groups, how do we now come back together and, and paint a bigger, broader picture of the wider Black community? And so I think about, you know, the Black Community Collective, which we formed, kind of went on to do work with the Police Accountability Coalition, which is now really taking off in Manitoba, broadly speaking. And so, you know, Comey's kind of transitioned into just focusing on bringing individuals together so we know ourselves to, as the anti-TV said, really expanding it and bringing younger voices in, um, diversifying the idea of Blackness so that, mm. yes, you can be a part of your culture, but you, you know, a lot of young people who are like myself who are born here, I identify as Canadian and Nigerian and Black and all these other things, whereas, you know, some of the older generations don't identify in, in as diverse of ways, right? And so, mm understanding all those aspects and really transitioning to the future of what our community will look like and saying, okay, as a black young person, how do you want to get involved? And so um, I think we've been really instrumental in just kind of focusing in on how do we get younger people involved? How do we help them identify and take what we did in the nineties and bring it to 2022 and take that into the future? Beautifully said that leads me really next, really nicely into my next question, which is like in the next five years or so, what sort of trends are you seeing? What sort of things are, are, are your communities coming to you saying like, here's what we're going to need. Here's what we're seeing right now. Like what, what, what's happening in the future? What, what are you guys focusing on for the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think for me, I, I'll start just because I'm like, I think for me, I would love to see more young people get involved. Um, no shade to anybody. But I, 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 I understand that I am younger that by about 20 to 30 years than most people on the board. Um, and even within our organization, though, our staff team is predominantly young folks. And so there's a very real dichotomy. And that's not unique in any way, shape or form type Comey. It is really what we're seeing a lot in across the charitable sector. Um, so really looking at how do we now get young people involved in a way that they can take this over because a lot of our ethnic organizations are dying out because of the age and demographic of the people who've been running these for, for years and generations, right? And so we, I would love to see us be able to really reframe how we do what we do so that it is um, you can translate it across generations and into the next generation and next generation and really expand our programming across the city so that it's not as centralized because I think what's really beautiful about the Black community is that, you know, there aren't large groups of us in one space. Yes, we have, you know, I think it's a misconception that people think that, you know, Black people just exist downtown because we're, there's a large population of low income, you know, folks or newcomers. And that's a that's a really tragic misconception because I grew up in the South End and all of my friends in high school, except for maybe three or four were black right so I think about that diversity and the, the expansion of our community, and how as a Comey we also need to do that work and in that work continuing to bring all the black serving organizations together in new ways so we can be individual organizations but really come together as a as a collective as a unit to, to find some kind of a diverse but unified voice in the movement towards black lives. So when are you running for prime minister? Because you got my vote. Like, you are the best. I miss you so much. You're so, oh, you're just wonderful. Sorry, Titi, what, what, what's your focus for the next five years? Well, um, uh, bringing the youth in, we know that our youth are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. 
And you cannot just wake up one day and become the leader. You need to start and learn from those who have been there before. So we are, we've, we, we're dynamic and we've really reshifted, you know, how we do things uh, to incorporate everyone. Uh, one of our themes uh, in terms of our rebranding was, um, what is it, Akomi, we belong. Mm -hmm. So you belong, I belong, we belong, they belong, everyone belongs in Akomi. Whether you know you were born here, whether you transition, uh, uh, immigrated here, uh, whether you've been here forever or you just came yesterday, uh, everyone belongs under the tent, and there is something for everyone in Akomi. And so, uh, really focusing on bringing people in and to see the benefits of volunteering. People mm. also need to realize that to get to our goal, you know, we need to do this work together. And so promoting volunteerism, promoting the fact that, you know, we do have a, a goal out there and to reach that goal, it will take every one of us to get there. So a lot of outreach and, um, you know, when we, with our, with our second um, uh, location, uh, we are going to be doing a, a bit more outreach, you know, uh, letting people know that, you know, it's okay to come in and do your own programming and also fit in the same tent. Very cool. I love what you said. I really would love to hear both of your perspectives about belonging, because I think lack of belonging is the crux of most of our society's problems. And I think people who don't have a sense of belonging to a healthy group can get off the right path and they can get radicalized and they can go down, go down extremely. We're seeing it on all, you know, sides of the political spectrum, everything. We're seeing a lot of things. And I really truly believe in my heart that it comes down to a lack of belonging. So for those people out there that don't have a sense of belonging, what, how are you reaching out? Like what sorts of, of methods do you use and what sorts of, like, where are people that we can find, like, are you using technology to reach out? Are you going to schools? Like, where are we going to find the kids and the, and the, and the adults who don't have a sense of belonging and trying to get them into our tent and on, on the right side of, you know, like focusing on positive and built and uplifting and building and empowering, as opposed to tearing down and destroying and, and, you know, all the negative things that come from, from joining the extremists of our society. So yeah, where, where are you going to find people and how are you sort of trying to instill that sense of belonging um, through Akomi? Yeah, I think I'll let um, Angie TG speak a little bit about the Africa Center, which is kind of the mm. dream. Um, but well, before, I'll let her kind of touch on that, but I will mention the Africa Center, I think is going to be a pinnacle of, of um, some of this work within the Black community. But I also think for us, we do a lot of outreach. We're doing a lot of more, a lot more digital outreach right mm -hmm. now. We are also on the ground, and I think it is really important that um, we do on the ground work. So, you know, we're working on a couple projects right now, and a lot of it is quite literally phone calls into individual families and word of mouth. And you, when you think about the, the, I guess, the diversity, how far-reaching our community is, also the fact that the Black community is one of the fastest growing communities in Manitoba. You can imagine how hard it is to kind of capture those voices and those people when you're, you know, they're coming in faster than you have the capacity to actually reach mm. out to them. So a lot of partnerships and a lot of outreach to other organizations, you know, we recently had a conversation with Boys and Girls Club. We had a conversation with, um, you know, the police accountability group, which kind of extends broadly, Manso, 
being a part of these other organizations, we've also extended our programming to kind of do a bit more outreach outside of the province as well. So connecting with Black organizations across BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario right now. So really kind of just trying to diversify and get our name out though so people know where we are. Akomi is one of the largest Black-serving organizations in all of Western Canada. So I think it's really critical to remember that considering we are historically a, a volunteer-led, volunteer-run organization. And we've been doing this for 25 years, but our, our reach is huge in considering all of that. And so when we think about finding and creating space for belonging, it is one-on-one. -on -one. I think about when I when I worked at the Winnipeg Foundation, uh, and when I first started working with the Youth and Philanthropy Program, the, the range of faces and voices that were there, and then how many more Black students came on. And I had, I still connect with lots of the youth I worked with in that program, and they would often say, I was, I came on board because you're a Black person, right? And I think about a conversation I recently had with Uzoma, who said that they've had a lot of people just kind of say, you know, because they're in the position they're in, you know, so that representation and just getting Black voices and Black faces out there is helping us to bring the idea of being able to belong here and to create space and to set up shop in Manitoba as a critical part of who we are and the diversity of the types of work. You know, Black people are in everything. Um, you'll learn a bit more. I've heard, I'm encouraging everyone to check out our Then and Now project once it launches because it talks about Black community organizing and how Black community organizing has created spaces. And so it's not something that we will ever stop doing because um, being able to find and create spaces for belonging is so critical right now. And sometimes it feels like it's going backwards and we just have to keep being there. And, well, keep yeah. and you've had to do it to survive, right? Like it's baked into the cult, to the, to the structure of, of, of existence. But TT, do, what can you do to say to expand on that? Yeah, um, so, well, in terms of moving into the future, <laughs> it's been a goal and a dream for um, Africans here and uh, the Black community, even the Caribbeans, you know, recognize the need to have a big tent that will feed all of us. And so having an African community center has been the goal and dream uh, for our organization for many, many years. And uh, Komi has worked so hard and we are getting there. Um, and so our goal is to, you know, find land, you know, build, and also uh, housing for our community. Uh, there are no, you know, maybe subsidized or, or, or private housing for uh, low-income, middle-income members of our community. There's only one, that's the Harambe. There isn't any other one. And so, you know, we do need housing for those people and also trans transitional housing. Uh, for people. So we'll be looking at combination of a housing project and a community center that will incorporate the needs uh, and fill the needs of our, of our communities. Um, all the organizations that even have centers right now, the centers that they have are too small mm -hmm. to engage and to have events for them. So I think everyone is actually looking for uh, a coming to get in there and get you know a center that you know everyone will be able to use uh that center will be useful for youth uh you know for uh, this is where we talk of belonging you know again you can't belong when you don't have roof over your head okay. right and that's the first thing and so that's why this project is very important to the to akomi and to the african community so we'll have a place to call home and then when we have a home that's where we go when we are in need of something. We go there to our parents, you know, we go there for programming. Uh, so it will be useful for youth. It will be useful for adults, you know, gathering, 
you know, discuss, discussing, you know, very vital conversations and programming. And also uh, we, part of our housing project will also be in terms of looking for, uh, as our commu uh, community members get older and mm -hmm. unable to live independently anymore, you know, get to that next level and then the next level. So it's, um, it's a futuristic project and it's about time that we do that for the community. And like you said, it's all about belonging. And when some people have where, you know, they can say, this is where I belong. I think it flourishes them. You know, they're able to flourish in all facets of their life. And it also contributes to a healthy community, which is a bonus for, you know, Manitoba, Winnipeg, mm -hmm. wherever you are. And so, you know, uh, supporting Akomi to be able to reach this will be, will be very helpful and divert uh, kids, newcomers who don't know anything from being dragged into that rabbit hole, you know, will have somewhere to steer them where they'll see people of like minds, uh, people that will motivate them, you know, uh, black uh, people that are flourishing in their profession and also volunteering so that the community can see them and have role models uh, to emulate, uh, to, to become uh, better uh, contributing members of society. Beautifully said. Yeah, I, I love you. You've brought up Folklorama a couple of times, and I just want to talk a little bit about culture and sharing culture and spreading culture and, and you know, like exchanging culture. What, it, what has it been like for UTT for the last 20 years sharing your culture, uh, specifically in Winnipeg, but even just in Manitoba in general? What, what are some of the positives and some of the challenges of, of sharing your culture for over the last 20 years that you've experienced? We know that, I mean, Fokorama, that's what Fokorama is about. But it's also in terms of when we have Fokorama Week, you know, being able to attract um, younger audience, younger, you know, uh, Winnipeg-born, Manitoba-born uh, children wanting to be part of. So when Fokorama first started, it was just, you know, uh, you know, immigrants that, you know, know their culture and want to showcase their culture. But over the past 20-some years, you know, our children are now 20 some years old. And so for them to be interested in doing that, and I think it, it, it's a good thing. And mm -hmm. so them being part of, and every year we have youth groups that are organizing themselves and want to perform, you know, they want to showcase. So we see, you know, it growing from just older groups to a lot of youth. And we still have our older groups because we, uh, Fukurama performances are a mix, but you know, you can just see the energy. Uh, in, in these youth exhumating the energy and being proud mm -hmm. of their culture. So, um, you know, we have to continue to do that to show people, you know, be proud of who you are, be proud of your culture. The more you, you showcase your culture and other people see it, they embrace it. And you also learn from their culture. So mm -hmm. we also encourage uh, during the week that we are not running, you know, we encourage members to also go to other performance um, uh, for Kurama venues to learn and, and uh, about other cultures and hey if you see something you like bring it in yeah <laughs> you know, beautifully so we, exactly yeah we do that so uh you know it's 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 been great and also when you talk of the patrons our patrons you know continue to change year in year out and many you know uh, say i've been coming to Kurama africa side pavilion for the past 20 years i won't miss it even if it's one day you know, during the week. So it's really great. And um, and we also have also expanded it to businesses, mm -hmm. you know, African businesses that are making traditional foods, uh, you know, uh, costumes, you know, uh, clothing, 
to even be part of the Fokurama. So it, it also makes our, our, our week more efficient that you know we're not slaving to, to cook, but we have these businesses coming. And then it's also a way to advertise those businesses right. to our community so that after Fokurama, you can order your meals here, you know, uh, and also it helps to promote uh, businesses, you know, within the African community. It's a lot of work to feed people for a week and party for a week, right? There's a lot of work that goes into it. Tola, same question. How has your um, relationship to your culture evolved over the years and from when you were younger to now? Yeah, I think it's um, everything Antichiti said, but, you know, I also think about the fact that as a Black person in a predominantly white society, the existence of you is showcasing your culture. Like every time I walk to, I think about every time I go to the superstore in St. James, for example, I always feel very black. Um, and just, I, I know this is something that many people have said before, but being black is an act of resistance because we have historically not been meant to be here. You know, the eradication of black voices, the eradication of black bodies has been the, the crux of predominant white societies. And so I think for me, showcasing, showcasing my culture has been yes bringing in my accents of or aspects of my Nigerian culture I've now started identifying less as about Nigerian specifically as Yoruba just because that's my family's tribe so people understand that there's multiple tribes mm -hmm. within the one African country right and so um, I've I think you know being able to say these things in places where I have space to say it is really important but then also being what you know our community likes to say unapologetically black like just embracing because blackness is a culture in and of itself being Yoruba is a different culture being Nigerian is a different culture being you know black Canadian is a different culture being uh, someone who's born and raised as a black Canadian is a different culture right so these are all things that just I think for me just by my existence in this province um, is how I showcase the culture but it wasn't always like that and I I will say that you know my first experience of of understanding blackness was when I was in grade five and I had a little boy say to me, oh, you know, I don't like you because you're chocolate. And I didn't really understand it at that time. But, you know, I was, what, 11 years old. And I was just kind of like, oh, I don't like you because you're vanilla. Like, because that was right. like my only conceptualization of how to respond when you're that young. Yeah. And so when I was growing up, there's a lot of insecurity. And I think about some of the kids that I've coached. And I had this one girl, she was 17. She's about 20 years younger than I am. Um, and she came up to me one day and it was middle of summer. My skin gets very dark in the summer and she looks at me and she's like oh my god melanin you look amazing and i was just like wow to be so proud of being black in a way that i didn't have that chance or opportunity because i grew up in a very i grew up in the south end there wasn't a lot of black people as growing mm -hmm. up so so kind of understanding to be proud of that now uh, i understand that my my experience and my living in manitoba and winnipeg is exactly uh, my showcasing of my culture love it uh, there's a lot of parallels with the indigenous experience with the newcomer experience I'm hearing a lot of themes that sort of come up in those conversations as well. So how have, have through Akomi, how have you sort of opened the tent up to not just, you know, Black and African communities, but also, you know, anyone else who's going through similar experiences or has gone through similar experiences and can kind of share, share best practices of how to deal with, you know, being an immigrant or being, you know, from these different unknowns to the to the majority right like so how have you how has the organization sort of tried to partner with different indigenous groups or different um, immigration groups or, or things like that if you can speak to that yeah I think what's important to remember as a part of you know I think about Black Lives Matter and I know there's a lot of um, contention around that like well everyone's lives matter no it's <laughs> the idea of being a Black Lives Mattering is about the fact that when you look at 
the way society's been structured. If you align with the idea that Black Lives Matter, it means that everyone's lives naturally are a part of that mattering. And so uh, where Akomi is physically located right now in Central Park in the inner city, a lot of our patrons, our day-to-day drop-in patrons are actually indigenous. They're not even Black, but that experience, that commonality, when I think of the drum and the importance of the drum in Indigenous culture and in Black culture, African culture, I think about the braid, the, the importance of that beating and the importance of the, the cross sections of our cultures really come into play. And maybe I'll let Auntie Titi talk a little bit about um, the, uh, sorry, my brain is escaping me, but the, the, pro, the program that kind of came out of the African communities in Manitoba where your skill sets can be recognized as newcomers to Canada. Mm. And that came, was driven by the Black community. And then, you know, we brought in other communities from around the province to really kind of say, hey, let's, let's push this so that when newcomers come to Canada, you know, include, we are focused in the Black community, but we're saying when all newcomers come to Canada, we can all then have our skills recognized. Our skills recognition program was driven by members of Black community kind of saying, hey, we have these incredible educations, like we should be recognized too, right? And, and people sometimes forget that Black Lives Matter is because we have been considered so extra to the community and pushed outside of the community for so long that when we're saying, hey, you should include us, it's saying us and everybody else who isn't included. So maybe yeah. Auntie well, speak a little it, bit. It's wild that. to me too that, uh, that anyone could be like people and their abilities are a boon to a community. It's not a burden. Like it's this, we, I don't even understand it. Like when you meet someone new, it's like, you can learn something, you can get, you can glean, they have skills, they have abilities. And it's this weird thing of being like, oh, we don't need that in our, it's like, why wouldn't you have more knowledge, understanding, culture, music, ability, you know, like why wouldn't, it, it boggles my mind from the day I was born, why someone would be like, ah, we don't need that. But TT's, uh, sorry, I would love to hear your perspective as well. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's this racialization, you know, mm. that concept that has been taught and ingrained in everyone, you know, both white and black, you know, and unfortunately, many immigrants don't even know that until they come here. I had no idea that I was very different until I, come, until I got to Winnipeg. And then I'm being told, you know, I'm brown. In fact, there was a time, you know, and I was an adult when I came, I would actually look at my skin and say, I'm actually not black. <laughs> black, why are people calling me black? Why is Statistics Canada, you know, making, forcing me to identify and say I am black? Why do we have to color, you know, color code people? Yeah. And as we continue to do that, we continue to separate and continue to instill that racialization. So even the, 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 I mean, indigenous people were here even before the Europeans came. So Europeans then dominated and then they make Europeans the top and everybody else in the bottom. So it's really important for all of us to get ourselves educated and to say that this is a multiracial community country and the bigger we make the tent, the better for us. So those who are saying, no, we don't need them. No, we don't need them. They need to get themselves educated. You know, there's lots of information out there. There's lots of history out there. Read about it and start to rethink. And, and, then, and then see organizations or communities where they are mixed and where they, they are diverse and see how well they are doing. Yes, diversity so is strength. What, yeah. it, it, it's a strength. And so yeah. until people you know, have it within themselves, you know, the willingness to open their eyes and open their ears 
and, and, and get knowledgeable about these things, the better we all be together. So, you know, a lot of, you know, many black, I mean, <laughs> education was something that was instilled in us before we even got here. Mm -hmm. You know, black Afri African communities, I mean, when the Europeans came, it was about education. And so by the time we came here, we are already well-educated to come here. In fact, you know, you get points for being well-educated, you know, uh, university, second degree, third degree, you get more points to come here. And one of the things we found, you know, that was, you know, did affect me was, you know, when I got here, my, you know, I was a bachelor's degree holder. I was a teacher back in Nigeria. And then when I got here, I couldn't get any job, but I was given, I think, Child Care Worker One certificate. That's the equivalence of what I brought. And I look at it, I'm like, no, I'm not a Child Care Worker One. I'm not, you know, here to be cleaning people's diapers. You know, I'm a teacher, I was teaching high school. So for me, that was the motivation for me to, to you know, to get into, um, uh, I guess maybe volunteering or advocacy work. And I had to advocate for myself to be able to be admitted to U of M. Uh, it, was, it was very emotional to have to one, redo my degree. I, I had to do another four years of education to be where I am today. Uh, so that was painful, but in order for me to be able to advocate for everybody else, I had to go through that. And so, you know, after doing that, going through that, then I see that happening to a lot of people, not just Africans, yeah. immigrants in yeah. general. You know, you meet people, you're, you, you're riding in a taxi and then they start, you start conversation and say, you know, I was a doctor back in India. <sighs> you're a doctor? You know, I'm an engineer, you know, I do yeah. aerospace and things like that. So those are the things that kind of um, uh, push for us, Akomi, to take up that challenge to say, no, we need to do something about this and advocate to the government. And yeah. as a result of our advocacy, happy that um, uh, the rules are changed and uh, uh, more uh, um, um uh, foreign credentials are now recognized right. and there are programs in place to help people uh, to be able to continue in their career. Yeah, I see that a lot in the nursing and and you mentioned doctors is like, if, if someone's a nurse in a different country, the hoops that they have to jump through to become to be able to practice in Canada are very archaic, in my opinion, I'm not an expert on the situation. But this does lead me to the to my next section, which is systemic adjustments that need to be made. So what um, areas is Akomi focusing on when it comes to the systems that need to change to be more inclusive of differing abilities and different languages and all of these things? Because once the system is changed, then we can ha have more people sort of like integrate healthier and be able to showcase their abilities. And that's what it's all about. So systems wise, what, what are you guys focusing on? Tolu? Yeah, so right now we're, are, I mean, on top of the skills recognition, which we still kind of look at promoting, especially when you look at, you're right, and healthcare industry, we're all of a sudden they're like, oh, maybe we should start talking to immigrant <laughs> nurses because COVID's destroying our hospitals, right? Like things like that, where you're like, oh, well, maybe you should have considered that 25 years ago. But, um, but so definitely skills recognition is still a big part of that. Police accountability really became a focus for ours in the last two, three years. Uh, not to say that it wasn't an issue before, but we've really started to focus on that. And then also just getting involved in politics. So it's something that we're really trying to push to get more, uh, Black voices involved in politics. It's actually interesting. It's something that 
has kind of always been there, but I think we need to be more strategic and come back to the strategy around pushing for that because again, representation matters. And it's really critical that we support black people in those positions. And so being a part of politics, not necessarily um, like support, financially supporting causes, but you know, promoting the people who are getting involved and supporting them regardless of their party to be able to say, hey, these people are running, learn from them and talk to them. And so that is something we're also looking at quite quite heavily. Yeah. Um, and then we are also just kind of looking at how do we better support education and families? Mm -hmm. I think, again, the pandemic has really highlighted the disparity in education. We had this one mom who called us who had seven kids, single mom, no family to help out and how does that mom with no family no friends like nothing for her get her kids tablets and computers and all of these things and wi-fi and yeah and wi-fi exactly. yeah. and all these things and so really advocating for families and for people to be able to actually settle here so settlement is always still at top of our list supporting people in that settlement process and then again connecting back with organizations like manso like social planning council to kind of do this work so that i mean we are still a really small organization so we really are doing a lot of that outreach to better connect um, and then also getting more involved in history and heritage hmm. i think when we look at history and heritage we we know that Life started in Africa, then apparently there was this massive gap, and then all of a sudden Europeans came and took us all, right? And so there's- And that's what I learned. That's what I learned in high school, that's right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. But we, uh, it's something that we're really just starting to get into talking about, again, the Then and Now project that we're working on, looking at Black community organizing, then also hopefully getting into the, the real history of Africa and looking at how do we share that story, the, the kingships, the- you know, the fact that the Benin wall was bigger than the China, the Great Wall of China, right? Like these kind of concepts that we're really trying to promote. And so bringing education to the forefront and Black education. Beautiful. Great answer. Titi, do you have anything to add as well? Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, I think uh, restorative justice is mm -hmm. also one of the areas that we're focusing on and hoping that uh, in the future, uh, the government will focus more on restoration rather than putting people in jails. As, as you know, that the percentage of... Uh, uh, jails are uh, filled with a high number of indigenous population, followed by black population and also the injustice that goes on in there. And at the end of the day, government is spending, I don't know, maybe 20 times more uh, for keeping people in jail, removing them from society, destroying their families, you know, than what they will have spent if they support organizations like ours and many other organizations to create a sense of belonging, to restore the faith of those youth, you know, that are committing those crimes and, and, and help them to, to, to get better and reintegrate them into in society, back into the society within that society. So uh, it's one of our key uh, pillars that we will be continue to look for, uh, look, work on in the future. Incredible point, very important point. Every time I, you know, enter into a um, dispensary and I think, okay, we're just, this is just free. Like you can just walk in and buy this now. And there's people in prison for selling the same things that are now being sold on every street corner. How like th this doesn't compete. I think that's going to be one of the greatest failures of our generation yeah. is how many people have had their lives ruined for something that was now Mm -hmm. the anyway we could have, we could talk about that for, for hours but uh we don't have the time i don't want to keep you guys too too long i want to get to our just because segment um 
it's seven questions that I ask all my guests. It's all about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your lives. That's the, the cause and effect podcast. Are you okay to go through those with us? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we'll go uh, maybe TT first and then Tolu second for each of them. Or, you know, we'll see how it flows. But question one is for TT, what is the very first cause you ever remember caring about? I think it's education. Mm. Uh, it started from back at home. Uh, our parents instilled education, having formal education as the key to eliminating poverty. So every generation starts and your generation needs to be better than the previous generation and so on and so forth. So uh, that was education for me back in Nigeria and I was well-educated then I came here. And because of the challenge that I faced, education is still the cause for me today. Yeah, it's I, I always say education is, will solve all of the problems in the world. And maybe that's too naive, but I, I, st I still believe it. I really believe education is the solution to everything. But uh, Tolu, what's, what was the first cause you ever remember uh, caring about? I'm, if you ask my mom, I'm sure she would tell you that I was always a bit of a fighter. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I it was always racial and and gen and mm. gender inequalities. Mm. And I say that because as a young black girl, again, that story of that boy being like, "You're chocolate, and I don't like you because of that." And you know, those moments for me kind of took me and like it sat and it I harbored it, and it is exactly why I'm here now. I'm sorry you went through that, but. Uh, it has created a superhero. Like you are a superhero in our community. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, like I, I know it's, it's such a catch too, because you're like, you can't, you know, sometimes it's hard to move forward without having experience in those things. But I also, yeah. um, now that I have multiple nephews and nieces that are all black presenting, I'm like, there is no way I would ever, ever let them experience that. And I do want to just share, I know we're having time. No, no, you're good. I remember I was in grade, again, grade five, and we were at, I went to Dalhousie Elementary. And my sister would have been in grade three at that time. And we had a play or something like that. And my parents came and everyone was looking. And I think Auntie Chi Chi was actually there um, and all the rest of it. And there was all these flags of countries from around the world. And under the Nigerian flag, there was the country of Africa. And I remember in that moment, my dad, and I, my dad, you know, he, his, he can be up and down, but like in that moment, I've never seen my dad so angry and was yelling at Mr. Gill, who was <laughs> the, the principal at the time, just kind of being like, how can you teach education and teach your kids that Africa is a country, but then also associate it to the Nigerian flag? Because that is fundamentally wrong. And so even just moments like that, again, I think grade five was a pinnacle of change for me because of moments like that. My dad being like, this isn't okay. And realizing, oh man, I shouldn't be told that I'm I'm not acceptable because I'm black, right? So yes, Beautiful. racial and gender injustice is a driving factor for me. What it what it's all about is those little moments where you choose to say something, right? Where your dad chose to say something. There could have been exactly. there could there was probably a lot of people there who were like that isn't right, but they didn't choose to say something. And the strength that your dad showed in that moment to choose, you know what, this isn't unacceptable. That's those are the moments that everyone listening to this right now needs to think about. And when they go through a moment like that, where you know something's wrong, say something. Say something. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, so are we? Yeah, question two. If money and politics and logistics, planning and administration and all that stuff was just thrown out the window, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. Uh, maybe it's build that the the center. Um, but what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? I will say um, I will advocate for free. I know education, primary mm -hmm. education, secondary education is free in this country. 
but it's not free in all countries of the world. Mm. But also in this country, I will advocate more for free tertiary education, at least up to the first degree. Uh, colleges, diplomas, certificates, because we have, uh, so, uh, society have moved beyond just secondary education. And so to move along, you know, again, elevate our society, elevate the knowledge. I think we need to move beyond uh, um, just uh, secondary and then provide, if money was not an issue, I'll provide uh, you know, uh, free education to um, all secondary school students so that they can have that tertiary education and also promote trade. So trades will be free. And if you want to, then if you want to proceed to specialization, then that will be your choice, but at least up to a degree level. That to me seems like such a slam dunk and such a like no brainer. No brainer. Like, yeah. Put the money into the youth, teach people how to do things well, and you'll have a good society, right? Like, what, what am I missing that this is such a contentious issue? Like, uh, anyways, totally same question. If you could just snap your fingers, what would you wish into existence? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I would actually say something similar. I, I One of my biggest dreams ever would be to have a school for Black youth. And I think about, for example, historically Black colleges in the States. Mm. And I would love to have a, yes, the Africa Center would be kind of first, but it, as a part of the Africa Center could be actually open a school for Black youth. And I say that because I know that our youth are not getting educated properly. They are being put in remedial classes. Historically, they have been told that they don't speak English, even if they come from English-speaking countries. And so I would love to have a space where they could feel safe and just have options and have choices to, to go to a HBCU if they wanted to in Canada, because I think the Canadian Black experience is so specific and so different than, than anywhere else in the world. And so I think, yeah, I would love to see the Africa Center built and have an education facility that we could provide education and access to our students and youth. Beautiful. Yeah, I my partner Stephanie is a midwife and she I, I think about this all the time. It's like the younger we start taking care of and teaching and properly like setting up our kids for success, the better the society will run when they're finally taking over. Right. So beautiful answer. I love it. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause? Well, for me, the stigma is uh, foreign credentials. Mm. Um, uh, society here feels that if you are trained, in a country other than Canada, I think they even, you know, give you a little bit leeway from the States or UK, but if you're not trained, uh, well, I say if you're trained in Africa or the Caribbean, they feel that your, uh, your degree or your certificate is less than. So that needs to change uh, because the curriculum, you know, if you look at uh, economics 101, I think it's the same whether they teach you in uh, India language or they teach you in another language, and most of the African countries are, you know, French speaking and English speaking. So um, to see, to relegate the certificate that um, a foreign trained professionals bring here uh, needs to change. And people need to see that education is education. If you want to, you know, help them to acculturate, that's a completely separate yep. phenomenon, yep. you know, has nothing to do with their certificates. Yeah, well yeah. said, for sure. Tolu, same question. Yeah, I think for me, one of the biggest stigmas is that the Black community is a homogenized community. Mm. Um, I said it a little bit earlier, but I think the idea that we are just 
all from one place. I often get the question, where are you from? And I'm you know, born and raised in Winnipeg. I don't deny the fact that I'm Yoruba and Nigerian, but I definitely know that there's so much diversity. And, and, and I say that from the perspective of people from outside the Black community, but also people from within the Black community thinking that like, you know, we can only be engineers, doctors, lawyers. We can only be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. We can only be this thing. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much diversity in the Black community that both the Black community and communities outside of us don't understand. And so we are not homo homogenous. We are not a single voice. We are not one idea. We are so many different things and we are allowed to be those different things um, despite what people might say. And it's it's better to encourage that. Like why, you know, like why, like we said before, diversity is strength. We don't want everyone to do the same job. Everyone has different skills. We could, I don't know. Yeah. Well said as always. Yeah, you're, it's just a, delight to hear you speak again. So thank you. Question four, what is a recent victory for each of you personally or professionally that you're proud of and would like to share with us? Um, I'll say victory for me, uh, one was the uh, advocating for the credential recognition that started from ACOMI. We uh, engaged many communities. Uh, we know it's not just for African, but you know, people from India, uh, Asian, you know, it, it's the same phenomenon that, mm -hmm. you know, people come here and not able to work in the career that they have spent many years training for and experience from their country. So that's one. The second, um, uh, so we're able to, again, you know, advocate to the government. And so um, Office of the Fairness Commissioner was created as a result of that. And we know that, you know, many, 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 you know, uh, foreign graduates are benefiting from that today. Mm -hmm. And the, the second one for me is about uh, when I, you know, uh, was in university, my goal was to be a role model for black people, for our children. You know, I already had children. I had three children when I went back to university, when I went to repeat my degree. Wow. <laughs> so I wanted to be a role model because in my works, I see no role model and role model are people you look up to and they start from people that look like you. So for me, it was very important to be that role model and to work my way to be there. I've always wanted to be in government and I wanted to be part of people who make decisions, you know, you know, to policymakers and who make decisions or that direct the lives of people. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad that I've, I've, I've worked that way. You know, I, I, I was laser focused because I know that that's what will, you know, help to motivate my children and other children seeing me, you know, doing great things, you know, that, you know, they can emulate. And so that is also what I preach to people that, you know, don't just, you know, get, want to get to a position, let your position influence other people mm. by showing your face, show up in the community, you know, let, you don't know, even by not saying anything, you're in the community volunteering, younger ones will see you and they want to be like you. You just don't know what motivates you know, the young ones. Uh, my husband will say that when he was in high school, he was his accountant teacher, the, the teacher that teacher accountant, you know, he always dressed in white shirt. <laughs> he always dressed in white shirt, you know, looking sharp. And that was the motivation, like, you know, I want to be like him. So you just don't know what motivates kids. And so, but if you don't show yourself, you know, if you aim to be this position and you are there, and you don't show yourself in the community, you are doing a big disservice to your community. So that's my yeah. plight. Very well said. <laughs> totally same question. 
Yeah. First, I would like to say that Auntie Gigi, you have done that. You've been a huge motivation for me. So I appreciate all the work that you've done because I know it's not, I know it's not easy. Um, and for me, I think that the biggest, um, I guess, accomplishment I would say is, is quitting my last job to come to work for a call me. It was a huge decision. Um, and again, not to say anything about anything, but you know, it's not like I'm making a million dollars or making the big bucks or anything like that, but it's it's committing to something that I truly believe in and actually being able to live truthfully to myself and to my community and doing it for not just myself, but for other people, um, regardless of the difficulties of it, because I know that for the next generation, again, my, my three-month-old nephew, I'm like, I want him to be able to have that space to be able to be his most authentic self. And so in order for him to do that, like Andrew Tiji said, just being myself and doing what I think is the truest, most beautiful thing for me is exactly why I stepped down from my last position to take on this role. Your purpose. You found your my purpose. purpose. My whole purpose in life. I love it. Well, one of many purposes. You know, you still yeah. have to yeah. uh, you still have to run for prime minister soon. So <laughs> it's coming. Question yeah. five. Uh, what's the best advice that you've ever been given? This was a hard, this is a hard one. <laughs> I've had so much good advice in my life. I I think you know, and it's, it's such a catch point too, because sometimes, you know, I think about this one instance that wasn't exactly the most um, loving experience that I had, but my dad once told me, he's like, because you're a black woman, you're just going to have to work harder for everything, which, you know, you could see it negatively, but it also for me was a motivator to be like, Hey, you know, it's not untrue. Maybe you could have framed it a little bit better, but <laughs> it wasn't untrue. Right. And so that that motivation to do everything I do with excellence, even if it's not what other people are achieving or whatever it is to do it with excellence and to be authentic. But then also to, you know, my younger sister says, she calls it gold. She's always like, go one level deeper. And so to take yourself and to always dig a little bit deeper. So, you know, you see injustice, like you said earlier, Nolan, just, you know, you see something, say something kind of thing. If you saw something, okay, I know that's a problem, but now go one level deeper and be like, this is not something I'm going to tolerate. This is something I'm going to say. So to always take it one step further and be like, this isn't okay. And to do something when you actually feel like this is something that needs to be changed. Beautiful. Yeah. Be undeniable. Then no one, yeah. can, you know, no one can say anything. TT, yeah. what's the best advice you've ever been given? I think that came from my dad at a very, very young age. And, and he said that, you know, uh, he said I was very bright when I was in school, you know, always uh, in Nigeria, you have first position, second position, you know, not like here. So you, I, I always aim, you know, and if I came second, you know, he asked me why, you know, so what did the person who came first, you know, had that you didn't have? So that urge to be the best that I can be has always been part of me. And so I think since that time, you know, uh, whatever I want to be, I think the idea of being myself, I think came from me, not because in Nigeria, you, you're not taught to, to be an independent thinker. Mm. So I think being an independent thinker was something that, you know, I kind of saw from society uh, and I didn't like what I saw. Mm -hmm. And so, but I couldn't say it out loud there. So I kind of uh, internalized it and started, you know, brewing and doing things for myself. Uh, you know, over time, you know, some people called me a rebel because I would do things against the norm uh, because this is what I believe in, <laughs> yes. And so even when I came here, it was the same thing. When I got here, many of my friends uh, that immigrated here, they were going back to, to um, what's that school where you get your GD, GED? 
you know, these are degree, university degree, they have their degree from Nigeria, but because of what society says, you know, they had to go back and do grade 10, 11, 12 before they could get to university. Well, little Titi refused to do that. Um, I was told I was stubborn and that it will not work. You have to go back and I was determined that no, first of all, part of the reason is because I don't like math and I will fail. <laughs> I I won't be able to go to university. So I refused to do that and uh, pursued um, uh, my opportunity to go to, uh, to get admission when I realized, first of all, when I came to terms that, okay, I have to redo this. Mm -hmm. And then getting admission was a hurdle. And so I fought every you know, avenue. I talked to people and then I was told that I could get in as a mature student, which was an opening. As you can see, they don't, they don't tell everybody. So I started taking courses and then to be able to get admission, I had to go to the department. You know, they asked me to bring papers. And then the last thing I did was ask for a, a meeting with the student advisor. And I think that was the key. I had, I went there and I had to plead my case. You know, I plead my case to the point where I told them that, look, I could teach your year one and year two you know, in, in, human, in human ecology. So I said, you know, don't waste my time, you know, give me what, actually I was asking for credit, but anyway, but right. so it's, it's that determination to be myself, to uh, uh, do what I believe in and continue to pursue it that I think uh, uh, was, uh, is part of, and I think it stems from the advice that my dad gave way, 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 mm -hmm. way, way back then. It reminds me of the quote, uh, be the change you want to see in the be world. Be the change you want to be. And I, and I have actually emulated that because when I finished university and I started working and I started to see people in the same position that I was annoyed that I had to go back and do my degree again, I said to myself, no, we need to do something about this. And that's what started our advocacy. Beautiful. Say no. We need to stop this. People do not need to spend yeah. years in it. And it costs a lot of money back yes. at home. Oh. And then you come here and then you have to spend money. And unfortunately, <laughs> that people are now stuck yeah. in yeah. uncommunal jobs, yeah. you know, jobs that are not their, 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 their profession. Because one, you are new to the country. To do anything, you have to go back to school. School mm -hmm. is not cheap. You don't have to get loans. How do you pay that, that loan? How do you then maintain your family, feed the family? So um, I, there was a lot more negative about that, that, yeah. you know, I said, no, people, people that are coming after me should not have to go through what I yeah. want it's It just seems like that's happy. such... That, that's such a waste of time, energy, but, talent, money. Like we have talented people willing to work, capable of working, but they got to jump through all these hoops. And I, I think that's an underrated cause right of just how many how much how much inefficiency is in the yes. system of having people take a course that they've are that they could teach <laughs> again just to just to get the canadian piece of paper yeah weird but a uh, great answer thank you uh staying on the advice train question six is what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to her right now be yourself <laughs> beautiful yeah. Yeah. yeah, simple and effective. Yeah, totally. What about you? Uh, I actually think about a piece of advice that you know, uh, Megan Tate gave me when I was coming back to the foundation for a small project. And she said, no, you know your worth and that's beautiful. And I think that that is something that I would tell my 
my 10 year old self is to constantly be true to yourself and to know your worth because knowing your worth is so valuable and to be able to be like, I'm worth this much and I'm not going to take this anymore. Love it. Yes. And I think that, and everyone in the world should take that, take that advice because it's, it's the truth. I think a lot of times people get kind of tricked into thinking that they're not worth what they're actually worth. And, and yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful piece of advice. Thank you both so much for, for this conversation. Thank you for sharing the energy and stories and experiences and your time and, and just everything. Um, the last question is the hardest question for everybody, but uh, it's what do you want to be remembered for? TT? I want to be remembered for, um, I'll say, uh, volunteering, uh, my contributions to, the, to Manitoba in general, mm. uh, because, you know, everybody's focusing on feeding your family, raising your children, you know, getting education and focusing on me, me, my family and I. And I feel that if everybody does that and just focus on me, you know, who is focusing on the advocacy work that needs to be done for you to be able to achieve what you're focusing on? Mm -hmm. If the schools are not, you know, they are teaching your children, you know, stuff that they, they need not teach and there are things that they need to teach them so if you focus your energy on just sending your child to school you know you're not doing your job so we we need to look at the bigger picture you know not just myself and look at the larger community look at the larger course mm -hmm. you know that will help everyone in the long run yeah. uh, and focus on that and work on that so i think and and that takes time you know many people tell me i don't know how you do it you know where do you have the time you know colleagues at work i mean work is hard on its on itself and uh, with all the microaggressions that we black people go through at work you know day in day out the fact that we are on 24 7 you know uh day in day out where do you have the time to now focus on the larger community and my answer is that if i don't who will Beautiful. I, I think about this all the time because it's like, okay, you, you make sure you yourself has enough to eat, drink, clothes, etc. Then you focus on your spouse, you focus on your kids, then maybe you focus on your cousins, maybe you focus on your nieces and nephews. At what point do you stop caring? Right? And I think why stop any, like, if you see someone that needs some help, help that person. I, I, that's, I don't know if that was instilled in me or what it is, but it's like, at what point do you stop Sorry, Luann's calling me. At what point do you stop uh, like focusing on your circle expanding, right? And I love what you just said there. It's like, you have to advocate for all because eventually it's gonna matter for yourself if you, even if you are self-focused, right? Uh, Tolu, last word to you. What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I think I wanna be remembered for showing up and creating space. Um, and it sounds really broad and really general, but I think so few people, like Antetiji said, do show up. Uh, and then that doesn't create space for people because I think it's the folks that are on the ground who are generally speaking not remembered who are the ones that do the work to allow for other people to do the work right and so I just want to be remembered for having created space for other people like me not like me um, but just being able to show up and to create space however that frame is framed. Beautifully said. Thank you again, both of you, for your time. Um, I appreciate the conversation. I, I learned a lot. Hopefully our listeners learned a lot, too. Um, 
africancommunities.ca. Is that the right website that I'm looking at here? Yeah, you can go to, also you can try www.comi.ca. We are in redevelopment on our website. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty good. There's some good information on there, but let's get involved. Everybody just, you know, let's all get into the same tent here. Support your communities, um, TT and Tolu. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? Just thank you so much, Nolan. And uh, to everybody who's listening, the African Communities Manitoba is not just for people uh, who identify as a person of African descent, although some might argue that we all descended from Africa, um, but it is for everybody. It is. It takes a village. It, we really do need everyone to support. Um, so we do encourage you to come out and just come and learn, even if it's an informational interview, just come and hang out. Beautiful. Titi, last word to you. And, um, um, it, it, to make the change that we want to see, it's not just black people that will create the change. The solution comes from everyone. We need allies. Um, so that's why I advocated that people should go and read about history um, to learn about the plight, what people have gone through. And I'll say that uh, the struggle for black community is not, does not define the black community. It is something that we went through and that does not define us. We are uh, energetic, educated uh, people that have goals, aspirations, and want to be the best that we can be. And we just need that space to be able to do that. So help us create the space. Uh, Don't just rely on us. Yes, we will define what we want, but we want allies to also support our cause. Beautifully said, Titi Tijani, board president of Akomi, and Tolu Ililaboye, the director of operations. Thank you again for being here. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nolan. Thank you very much.